The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. All right, Landon, good job, man. Good, good job. Uh, so I forgot a water this morning. Corey, I hope you brushed your teeth, bro. Uh, I, I stole your water. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't smell too bad, so that's good. Um, Well, I hope you all are ready to be in the Word, right? Certainly, that's why we came here this morning to worship together in spirit and truth. And thank Corey and Kevin. Man, I was blessed this morning by the worship. Like, I just kind of challenged myself to uh, try to sing louder than Corey just to see what it felt like, man. It felt pretty good. So, um, I, uh, you know, if I feel a little extra ramped up today, don't be surprised. I am on a fresh off a steroid shot. I got poison ivy real bad. I mean bad, like something serious this week, man. I woke up on uh, Tuesday morning. My eyes were like swollen shut, and my neighbors got longhorns, and the longhorns had gotten out. They had, they had jumped up my fence, and, and they were in my backyard, and I woke up, and my I could feel it the night before. I knew I had poison ivy. It was all in my arm and everything, and I'm like, man, I probably should get a shot, but I didn't. I woke up the next morning, and there's longhorns in my yard. I mean, like, and, and the one that was in my yard was the bull, and like, man, this guy, like, I mean, he's manly. Like, he's big, man, and he's got horns. Like, this guy is huge, and, and, he's, and he's freaked out because he's in my yard, and he's, he's, he's eating under my trampoline because the grass is real long under my trampoline. I need to mow my yard bad, but anyways, um, so, but I thought, I was like, I'm seeing something, man. My eyes are swollen. I'm like, the poison ivy's got me. And I'm like, is that a longhorn under my trampoline, you know? So I was like, I need to go to the doctor, right? So anyway, fresh off a steroid shot, um, I feeling pretty good. So if, uh, you know, if I, if I'm just really letting it rip today, it's either the Lord or the steroid shot, right? So, um, it is a blessing to be with you guys this morning. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you. I invite you to fill out a Connect card in the bulletin that you hopefully received when you walked in. Give us a little information about yourself. I would love to get connected with you uh, so that we know that you're here. Otherwise, uh, sit back and let's get into the Word, okay? So we're in Samuel. we got a lot of ground to cover today. We're in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapters 4 and 5, okay? Chapters 4 and 5 of 1 Samuel. I'm not going to read it all because we would be here for way too long and, and, and you guys um, you know, would be upset with me. You'd be real hungry by the time I was done. But starting in uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel, right? We talked last time um, about how Samuel had been raised up, right? And he, uh, we talked last week about how God is speaking to us always, right? He's always speaking to us. And we talked about the several ways that the Lord speaks to us. His word, the audible voice of God, the still small voice of the Lord, which is of the Spirit, right? Uh, a number of ways. Nate, God speaks to us through nature, right? The heavens declare his praise and the, handy, uh, the firmaments declare his handiwork, right? And so uh, God has spoken to us a number of different ways throughout all of human history, visions, dreams, uh, etc. So God is doing his part constantly to speak to us. And we talked about the one thing that we can really do to, uh, to nurture our relationship 
is to pray, right? Our prayer is how we talk to God, right? And so I was challenging you guys to pray to the Lord so that your relationship with him could be healthy, right? If you don't communicate with each other, you have a bad relationship, right? And so we would all agree with that. But here it says, and the word of Samuel came to Israel. So Israel highly regarded Samuel as a prophet of, to the nation, right? They believed that Samuel was divinely sent by God, right? And so, but here's the truth. <laughs> Verse 1 says, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel, and for the next two chapters, we are going to read about nothing but how the nation of Israel sinned terribly and had fallen insanely short of the glory of God. So they listened to Samuel. They heard the word. They believed that Samuel was of the Lord. They believed that he loved them, that he walked with God, that he was divinely appointed unto them. Yet they sinned horribly. Let's read. It, 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 when we go through here, the, um, the ark of God gets captured in battle, okay? So what's happening here is it says in chapter 4, and I'm going to do some summarizing because the points I really want to make are in five, chapter 5. But uh, chapter 4, the Philistines, okay, the primary enemy to Israel that day, like we talked about in week 1 of Samuel, the major players in world affairs were weakened in this day, Right? The Babylonians were, were weakened, the Assyrians were weakened, the Egyptians were weakened, right? The primary enemy to the nation of Israel was indeed the Philistines. The Philistines were equipped with Greek armor, right? Like the Greeks had propped them up, and so they were a very scary enemy. For you guys, a little review, Goliath, the famous character of Scripture, David slayed Goliath with a stone. Goliath was indeed a Philistine, right? So the Philistines come to battle against the nation of Israel, and, they, and Israel loses, right? In chapter 4, we t it talks about how, I think it says 3,000 men died in the first battle. It says that the uh, Philistines had, had armed themselves in array against the Israelites, okay? And the Israelites, 3,000 of them died. And they're disappointed, and they're blaming God for it. They're blaming God for the fact that they had just lost this battle, okay? And instead of seeking the Lord, what they do is they put their faith in the actual Ark of the Covenant itself, right? So for you Bible students, you know what the Ark of the Covenant is. It is indeed the mercy seat that the Spirit of God himself sat upon in the Old Testament, right? So for, you, uh, for us New Testament Christians, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, right? We are the temple for the Spirit of the living God. In the Old Testament, the temple for the Spirit of the living God was the first the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build, and then it was the actual uh, temple, Solomon's temple, so on and so forth. But that eventually was even destroyed in 70 AD. That's a different sermon. However, it's important for you to know the Ark of the Covenant was the actual excuse me, four foot wide by approximately two foot tall acacia wood box, okay, with a thick layer of gold on the top with the angels, the cherub of the Lord that it reached over to touch together and the spirit of God, the literal, the Shekinah glory dwelt on the mercy seat in the holy of holies in the tabernacle, okay? It was the most holy place in all of the world. That's where the spirit of God dwelt. And so they, the, the Israelites, though, were falsely 
under the impression that the power was actually in the ark itself. So they go back and they get the ark. They take it out of the tabernacle. They bring it out to battle with them, hoping that it will save them. And then guess what happens? Even more died. 30,000 foot soldiers are slain to death. So 3,000 the first time, 30,000 the next time. How effective was the ark? Not very, right? And so, and in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. We've talked about Hophni and Phinehas in the, la- in the previous weeks, right? They were the sons of Eli the priest. They were the wicked ones. They were sleeping with women as they would come in and bring their sacrifices to the uh, altar of the Lord and bring their heifers and their lambs. They would, first of all, they would sell them. Uh, they would fleece them, right, and say that their, their heifer was not good enough, and they would sell them another one uh, for a very high price. And then they would try to fornicate with these women, right? And so this is a very, very wickedness going on in, the, in and around the tabernacle. And so they die. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, the wicked priests, die. But the ark of God was captured. The Philistines take the ark of the covenant. Like the beloved ark of the covenant that the spirit of God was supposed to be dwelling in, in the holy of holies. It went out into battle and was taken, Okay. And so there was a man of Benjamin, I'm in verse 12 here, there was a man of Benjamin that ran from the battle line that same day, and he came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. That's a symbol, man. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, man, his clothes were torn. It is a sign of just incredible uh, agony and distress, primarily spiritually, right? The ark of God was just captured. The Israel has made a mess of themselves. And so uh, I do want to ask you, this is a freebie for you guys here, like sometimes, man, the battles that we are facing, instead of asking the Lord for his hand in victory, we often want to bring something else to the battle. We want to bring something else to the battle. And my, my beloved wife, man, I know this is a really challenging season for her. Uh, after we first got married, uh, my wife was addicted to Adderall. And my wife did not feel like she could be a productive individual apart from the use of Adderall. She did not have a prescription for it. She would falsify prescriptions. She would do a lot of different things in order to obtain Adderall in order to be an effective human being. She felt like she couldn't be a good mom without it. She couldn't clean the house without it. She couldn't help me get through school without it. She could not do and handle normal daily activities, the stresses and the realities of life without Adderall. That is symbolic of bringing something like the ark into battle. It will not work, and God will take it from you. And praise the Lord that God had taken that area of bondage for my life, for my wife, out of her life, so that she could actually lean on Jesus, the Lord himself. The power in the ark of God had nothing to do with the wood or the gold. It had everything to do with the God sitting on it, right? But when he was taken into battle, he was not invited. And so I, I'm just, I, I ask you guys, are, are you taking anything into battle? where the the Lord is not present. It is not of the Lord. It is just simply the ark. It is simply wood. It is simply gold. It is simply something of no value, in fact, of destructive value. And we will read on here in just a few moments what happens, uh, what the Philistines do with the ark. But 
the death of Eli, okay, so or, um, the, uh, the death of Eli's sons, right? So the ark was captured, Hophni and Phinehas have died, a messenger of the tribe of Benjamin runs into town and he tells everybody, oh my God, the ark has been stolen. You're not going to believe it. Like, not only, did we, um, not only did we lose the battle, we lost 10 times as many men as we did last time, uh, but the ark is gone, right? And so it says here, Eli, in verse 15, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see. And then the man said to Eli, I am he who comes from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, and Eli says, what happened, my son? I mean, he's old, he's 98 years old, and he's trying to, he's, he's concerned about the battle. And he says, um, so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter among the people, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Listen to this, verse 18, chapter 4. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. Big, fat, heavy old man, fallen over backwards, and his neck was cracked. He died. It wasn't, he did not die when he heard that the 30,000, uh, you know, that the, the uh, what was it, 30,000? Yeah, 30,000 men had died. It wasn't even that his own two sons had died. It says when he heard that the ark of the Lord was captured, he tips over backwards, and he's cracked. And immediately after that, his daughter-in-law, okay, so this is Phinehas, Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons, right? Phinehas had a wife who was with child, and she hears of the same uh, story. She hears that the ark of God was captured, and immediately it says that she was, bur- she had a, she was with child, and immediately upon hearing the news that the ark of God had been captured, she immediately births the child. This was an extremely immature birth, okay? This was, uh, they'd be like Molly, you know, just like, boop, like popping right, right away, right? Unexpected. This was not a joyous occasion, okay? This was a traumatic occasion, okay? Anytime a child is born prematurely, it is a scary thing, right? Immediate NICU situation, oxygen, blood work, all sorts of stuff, right? Um, and so... The point here is, though, is she names her son Ichabod. That is a horrible name. Ichabod. But Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. The glory of the Lord has departed. Like it 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 was very symbolic of the sin of the nation of Israel and their false identity with the Ark of, of the Covenant and their misalignment with their relationship with God himself and what a mess they were making of themselves. And she was has so heavily burdened by this. She births her child and names him Ichabod. Poor guy. And then in verse 5, it says, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 5, he moves on to say, Then the Philistines took the ark of God, and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So it was in Ebenezer. They've now moved it to the Philistine city of Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, and they set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. 
And so they took Dagon and they set him back up in his place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod anymore unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them, and he struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and all of its territory. Another version says he smote them with hemorrhoids. That's bad. Um, I personally have never had a hemorrhoid, thank the Lord, but man, that can't be comfortable. But here's the deal, man. They, the, the Israelites took the ark into battle. They lose, and God is teaching them a lesson, right? And so they, the, the Philistines then, they're like, man, they're pumped. They're like, dudes, we got the ark. Like, the, the, they lived in fear and terror of the God of the Israelites. But here's the thing. They still were not afraid to fight them. The devil is scared to death of Jesus, man, but he's not afraid to fight because he knows a lot of times we don't run to Jesus. That happens a lot. There's a reason the enemy is called Lucifer. He's literally, chemically, clinically insane. But he's also pretty smart because he knows, just like the Israelites did not look to God, they went and grabbed the box and it had no power. We do the same thing. We try to fight battles with things that have no value. In fact, they bring nothing but destruction. That's why the enemy will still continue to fight and come at you. Because he knows you will not pursue the Lord. May that not be so today, guys. May that not be so today. But the ark goes into the temple of Dagon, right? Dagon is a half man, half fish. God, a false God, an idol that was worshipped by the Philistines. And so they put the ark in the temple of Dagon, and they come back in the morning to check out the situation, and there's our boy Dagon, like face down, prostrate before the ark, right? And I can promise you that God was sitting upon the mercy seat when, they, when he entered that temple, right? The devil cannot, this is a free nugget again, you, the devil cannot be in the presence of the Lord, period. He cannot do it. So when you're feeling the darkness come in on you, when you're feeling a moment of temptation or an area of sin, man, seek the Lord. When, you, when you're in a room and it's dark and you don't want it to be dark anymore, what do you do? You turn on the lights. So often, though, we want to figure out why is it so dark? Why is it so dark? How do I get around in this darkness? Are there blindfolds on me? Am I wearing sunglasses? Is my hat too low? You're, we're always wondering, why is it so dark? And the Lord's like, turn the light on, bro. Turn on the lights. Seek the Lord. Press into Jesus. Read the word. Listen to worship music. Call a friend who will encourage you. Get on your knees and pray. Turn the lights on, okay? And the presence of the Lord is powerful, man. The devil cannot stand it. I had a friend one time, when I was coming out of college, I had just gotten saved. I was, I was still dabbling in the old ways of sin, and I was still watching pornography and participating in the activities that would ensue after those uh, activities take place, okay? 
And I remember being like, dude, I got I to gotta cut this sin out of my life, and how do I do it? And a wise friend of mine, a Christian brother, said, dude, when you feel the urge to watch porn and to participate in sinful activities, turn on praise music, bro. Holy is the Lord. And tell me how fun that is. How fun is that? Not very. It's impossible. You cannot do it. You cannot care for yourself in an ungodly way while listening to praise to Jesus Christ. You can't do it. That's turning the lights on, right? So we've got Dagon here, falling on his face. The next day, Dagon again, falling on his face. This time his head and his hands are cut off. This is a weak, poor, worthless God, right? But so many times we put weak, worthless idols up in our life. And God wants them to be fallen down. And what do we do? We do exactly what the Philistines did. We put that little God back up. Like that. They go in there and I guarantee you they went, daggone it. Daggone. Daggone it, man. He's fallen again before the Lord. Let's stand him back up. You know, let's keep those hands, man. So, yeah, that is silly. We do that, though. We put things back, right up back before the Lord. May that not be so. And so here's really the crux of the message today, and I'll move through this fairly quickly. There are three things in the ark. There are three things in the ark that I believe give us instruction for how to knock down our demons. Three things in the ark that are symbolic of how we should live as Christians in order to knock down the demons in our life, in order to cut out the sin in our life, in order to avoid the judgment of God, okay? And in order to prevent destruction from happening that the demons, the dagons, the enemies of our lives only desire for us. And so the first is the tablets, the tablets of stone, right? The Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. This is symbolic of the Word of God, okay? The Word of God. Remember when Moses, in Exodus 32, uh, Moses goes up to the mountaintop, and he goes to, to hear from the Lord, and God, supernaturally, with the finger of the Lord, writes on the tablet of stone the Ten Commandments, right? And what happens? Some of y'all know the story. Moses comes down from the mountain with a fresh revelation from God, and he sees Aaron, his brother, who had melted. He told all the people of Israel to take their gold off their ears and off their fingers. He melted it, created a golden calf, and they're worshiping the calf while Moses is on top of the mountain getting a revelation from God. And so the word of God, man, like, we can be so, so broken when it comes to the word. Like, we can hear the word, and it can just fall on dry ground. It can just get washed away by the wayside. May that not be so, man. Like, the word of God. This is God's instruction to us. The word of God is how we follow the Lord. Like, when we tell people we are believers in Jesus Christ, or we are Christ followers, are we really? If you're not following the word of God, you're not following Christ. He is the word, right? John chapter 1. So I ask you, how are your rhythms? Do you read the word? Is the word written on your heart? Could you teach the word to someone else? This is all part of making a disciple. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Do you have a heart to disciple? There's been people leave this church because they don't want to make disciples. I love them, but that is pathetic. 
Jesus calls us to make disciples. If you don't want to make disciples, you don't want to follow Jesus. So then please don't go out and tell people that you know the Jesus that I know because you don't. You're misrepresenting him. And that's frustrating. In the same way with Moses, when he came down the mountain, he was frustrated with the people. In fact, God told Moses he was ready to kill them all. Moses pleaded with God and said, Lord, spare them. Please have mercy on them, Lord. Help me. Let me have some time with them to fix them and have grace and mercy on them. God was mad. Here's the truth, man. It's not easy to preach this, guys. This is heavy, and it's not the steroid shot. I'm telling you, it's the Lord. Dude, when you're preaching about sin, it sucks. It's hard to preach about sin, man. There's a lot of churches that are really full this Sunday morning. There's churches in this town with 12,000 people in it. They are not preaching sin. There's one word that we tell our kids that they cannot use with the exception of when it is in a spiritual context. That is hate. Hate. Hate is a nasty word. It's nasty, man. Hate. You say it, it just feels evil. You know what? God hates sin. He hates it, but he loves the sinner. He loves you and me, but he absolutely hates sin. He does not put up with it. Why do you think Jesus went to the cross? Because sin had to be judged. It had to be paid for. God's only son had to be killed. The father had to turn his back from the son so that your sin and my sin could be paid for. He hates it, and we should too. I'm reflecting on my experience at First Friday. You know why that experience sucked? Because I saw a lot of sin, and I hate sin, and I hate sin in my own life too. And we should all have an increase in our lack of tolerance for sin. I believe this culture, this society, not this church necessarily, but just people in general are way too tolerant of sin. Like it is what it is, man. Sin separates us from God. The Bible says that sin produces nothing but death in us. And through the power of the spirit of the Lord that lives in the Christian, he tells us the sin in our life and then we choose whether to follow it or to reject it. And so many times we continue to say, Lord, the penalties of sin in my life are worth it. I'm going to keep doing these things in my life that I am sinning and it's producing death, but because I don't want to yield to your word, I'm going to do it anyway. May that not be the case. The manna, so we have the, the, the word of God in the, in, the, in the ark, and then we have the manna, the bowl of manna. The manna speaks of communion, and it speaks of Jesus himself abiding with the Lord. If you are not consuming the bread of life, if you are not receiving Jesus personally, I'm not talking about Jesus pieces, you know, putting a cross around your neck or whatever, dude. I'm talking about actually sitting with Jesus Christ, your king, our savior. Like if you believe in him, sit with him. That is so important. Like in John chapter six, Jesus says, do not labor for the food which, which uh, perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you, right? Do not constantly have your heart fixated upon things of the world or on how you're going to make money or how you're going to put food on the table or how you eat or how you dress. Don't worry about tomorrow, even Jesus said. Tomorrow will worry about itself. You worry about the Lord 
And a lot of times I tell my guys in D group, man, when you're sitting there and you're in the word, ask the Lord, what is God saying to Shay today about Shay? And let him speak to you. That's how you sit with the Lord. That's how you abide. The third thing that was in there was the rod, the staff, right? Aaron's staff. Of course, Moses used a similar staff when God told uh, Moses to reach out his staff in the Red Sea, and it was parted, right? And the, and the Israelites moved through the Red Sea, and then the uh, sea was, was brought back to its normal condition, and the entire Egyptian army uh, was killed, right? Pharaoh's army that was chasing the Israelites was, were killed. But, uh, and so there's a lot of famous events of the staff. The, uh, um, in Numbers 17, there was this instance where the people of God were complaining about how God had ordained the Levites as the tribe to be the priestly line for the nation of Israel. There were people from the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Gad and Asher that were complaining. Why do the Levites get to be the priest, you know? Why is he called to ministry? Why is he preaching? Why does he get to sing on stage? We do the same thing, right? And it's, it's not up to us, man. It is God's order. You know, like I didn't interview for this job, <laughs> okay? The Lord put me here. And he's got you right where you're at, too, with purpose. But in number 17, Aaron does something really, so Aaron epically failed at the, at the bottom of the mountain with the Ten Commandments, right? He led them in worship to a false golden idol. But he did have an incredible moment where he had said, God had ordained the Levites, not you. And it's not your, your business to determine what is God's work and what isn't, right? So he throws the staff down, and the staff starts to begin to bud with almonds, and, and it became fruitful, right? And it was, a, it was a promise. It was showing that God had indeed um, ordained the Levites according to his order and nobody else's. And so the staff really just speaks to us of structure, of order, and of submission, I have no idea, listen to me, I have no idea why God desires like the church and the way that we do things, worship, we're in the word, we speak the truth, you know, we uh, enjoy fellowship, right? Uh, and, and, and God calls us to do things, like in, T, in Hebrews 10, he says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves. Like God knows what's best for us. Like when we depart from the church, when we depart from fellowship, man, life starts to fall apart for us. It just does, and God knows that. But what's crazy is I don't know why God does the things that he does in church, but I know that they're his. Just like the Israelites said, why the Levites? Why are they? The? I don't know, but it's God and he does. And we need to submit to that, guys. We have got to learn how to be more faithful and more obedient to how God has set up his church and how God wants us to live as Christians. When Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to go into the kingdom maimed than, than to enter into sin. Like, do it. You need to surrender to that. You need to submit to that. It is the word of God. Like, it is what is required for you to grow in Christ, right? God does not tolerate our sin. And so I, I'm challenging you guys last, lastly here with this big idea. And I'll, I'll start to land this thing. I don't know how long I've been, but it doesn't matter. Big idea here, guys. I believe the heart of the Lord would say, please don't sin. Please don't sin. And it's hard for me to say that because I'm not sinless, right? It says in 1 John chapter 1, maybe chapter 2, if, you, if you've convinced yourself that you are without sin, you've been deceived, right? I'm not deceived. I am not without sin. But I can tell you right now, there is not anything in my life that I can wake up and say, yes, Lord, I, have I am continually walking in sin in this area, and I'm not repenting. 
I can confidently say that. And, and I think a lot of times, like, like I said earlier, man, the, the world, we are way too tolerant of sin. We, we, in the church today, use cheap grace all the time. Paul said, man, it, since grace is freely given, should we therefore go and sin anyway? Should we just go ahead and keep sinning? God forgives us. Jesus forgives us. He's already died on the cross. He's already told me that my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. What's it matter? It does matter. And so um, I, I, want to, I want to challenge you guys, man. Like, um, I, just, I want to leave you with this, just like this idea of please don't sin. Like, just I hope today, and I, don't, I really don't, uh, I don't know why the Lord placed the burden upon me to teach on sin today. But, man, it is so important. Like, we have a, a, a friend of ours that is going through a troublesome time. They've lost a friend. or I'm sorry, they've lost a child. And nobody wants to bury a child. And it's so difficult. It's hard to watch. But it's like, that's the reality of sin. And just like the Israelites were blaming God for their losses in battle, it wasn't God. God did not want, desire that they would be destroyed. God does not desire evil for us. It's produced in our life through sin. It is sin, and we have got to call it for what it is. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.